evening, wherever you may be, and welcome to Stories from the Vortex. I'm Matthew Kressel. Now, we've been away for a while, and we'd like to thank all of you listeners for sticking with us by giving you something a little bit special. What you're about to hear is an interview I was lucky enough to record with Jason Hay Ellery, the founder and executive producer of Big Finish, while he was a guest at Concasturbarus, the North Alabama Doctor Who convention, back in July. Now, due to factors beyond the control of the convention, Jason and I ended up having to talk in the lobby. So, as Big Finish used to say on their CD extras, technical quality may vary due to the impromptu nature of the recording. Uh, we're lucky enough to be speaking with Mr. Jason Haleri. Jason Haleri, welcome to the podcast. Very nice to be here. I want to start off with an obvious question, if I may. What's your earliest memory of Doctor Who? Oh, I thought you were going to say, what's your earliest memory? But um, <laughs> earliest memory of Doctor Who is actually, we worked out actually many years later, that the first thing I remember about Doctor Who was the repeat um, of Doctor Who and the Sea Devils. Um, so my first Doctor was uh, John Pertwee. Oh. Um, I saw the, the the entirety of John Pertwee's last season, um, but uh, which happened after there was a uh, uh, a repeat season during that summer. Right. Um, and I do remember vividly watching the Sea Devils. Wow, it's a good story to start with. It's a great story. Yeah, it got me convinced to be a Doctor Who fan. All right, let's jump forward oh, 20 years or so. How did Big Finish come about to begin with? Oh, God, it was a lot more than 20 years, so I can tell you. Um, <laughs> Big Finish came about because um, we were, I'd, I'd done a very low-budget movie um, called Shakedown, which was a Doctor Who spin-off movie. Right, Terrence and Sticks wrote that, I believe. Yes, he did, yeah. And um, basically, that had led to me working with Sci-Fi Channel Europe, Okay. who were looking to commission new um, new feature films and television series. And I went with a new creation called Phoenix Ryan, which um, Paul Cornell had created. In okay. And um, so I went there and they said, yes, we're interested in wanting to create it. Then we went into... Um, development hell as it were yes and two years later it still hadn't happened but during that period of time they said you need to create a production company to do this with I said fine so I started up a production company um, prior to that I'd uh, been a huge fan of uh, a television series called Press Gang okay Stephen Moffat's first major series indeed yes and I'd met Stephen through Paul Cornell because they were mates and um, I told Stephen I was going to name my production company after an episode of Preston. Um, and originally I thought Page One Productions, which was the first episode, um, but someone already had that because it was too obvious. <laughs> and then for a while we were going to be Rock Solid Productions. Um, and then I saw the logo and I thought, nah, it's just too much like porn. Uh, <laughs> and then. Uh, we end up with Big Finish, which ironically sounds even more like porn. I was about to say it sounds even more. Um, but uh, no, so we end up with Big Finish, which turned out to be a really, really good name, right. actually. 
uh, from a theatrical and um, production point of view. Excellent. Um, and so I started the production company up, but ironically there was no production for it. Right. Until Gary Russell came to me and said, I think we can get the Doctor Who, uh, the audio rights for Doctor Who. Right. Um, we tried, we failed the first time, um, because it was too soon after the movie, so we went off and did Bernie Summerfield instead. Yeah. And then we came back and um, we, did, we did get Doctor Who the second time we asked. Right. Uh, mainly because we produced these Bunny Summerfield CDs which had done rather well and which sounded really good and yes. they could trust us. Um, and that led to us uh, getting the, the Doctor Who license and here we are 16 years later still doing them. Right. I want to ask you, what are you, what's your memories of the recording of that very first story, Sirens of Time, way back in um, 1999? Yeah, uh, I think it was excitement of having those three doctors in. Right. Um, I know there was a certain amount of nerves about making sure we did this right and that everyone really, that we did a good job. Right. Because we thought, we're only going to get one chance at this. Um, but... I think um, there's a lot of, you know, we were just really happy to be doing it. Right. And there was that feeling when we finished that we'd actually created new Doctor Who. Yes. Which is the first time that happened in a very long time. Right. Because nobody had actually produced any, you know, even an audio, a serious audio drama of Doctor Who since John Pertwee's uh, had appeared in The Ghost of Inspace in 1995, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. So you guys were producing the first, or for that matter, a production of any kind of Doctor Who since the t- 96 TV movie, for that matter. Yes, totally. Right. So I'm, I'm correct in thinking that from day one you guys attempted to approach Tom Baker, who was just uninterested in the time. Yeah, we asked Tom several times, Yeah. yeah. Um, and it wasn't for him. Yeah. Um, it was, it was yeah. timing. It wasn't for him at the time. Eventually we, um, we did... Uh, he did acquiesce and he wanted to do it right. and now he's gone on record as saying it's, um, it's a shame he should have done it previously and um, he should have um, you know he wishes he'd done it 10 years before right well, I think the fans feel that way as well yeah. I know I certainly did so that, he's the big one that you guys for a long time had trouble getting but ironically enough I believe as Nicholas Briggs has gone on record as saying on the CD actions of at least a couple of different releases that come to mind the doctor you expected to have a hard time getting, but yeah, in fact, you got with fairly with ease. Mm. Was the gentleman we just had at this convention, which is the one and only Paul McGann. Yes. How did Big Finish approach him? Well, we just went to his agent and said, "We're doing the Doctor Who audios. Would you fancy doing it?" And the immediate answer back was yes. It was as simple as that. Right. So d- really, it's just as simple as that. No, you know, negotiations, no any of that. No, no, it was just. Yeah, he wants to do it, fine. Wow. All right. Um, but you're right, we did anticipate having to really struggle to do it, but it didn't, wasn't like that. Right. Because you know, th- there was a sense, I get, from reading what was being said at the time, that there was a lot of people who thought he didn't want to come back, that he didn't want to do it again. Yeah, not the case at all. Right. No. Okay. So I want to sort of jump, jump ahead a bit, a couple more years in the future, to the show's return to screens in 2005. Mm. Presumably, almost as soon as the announcement in 2003, yeah. that there was going to be a show again, was the BBC suddenly taking a bigger interest in what Big Finish was doing? Yeah. Did you have some basic, I guess my question is, was there suddenly somebody looking over your shoulder that might not have been there before? 
Pretty much that's the case, yeah. I mean, originally we used to basically, there was someone looking at our scripts, which has always been the case, right. just to authorise it, but now there's a number of people. I mean, we send in a one paragraph outline of each story, which, you know, um, historically Stephen, um, Russell T. Davis or Stephen Moffat has had a look at. Right. Just to make sure it doesn't conflict with stuff they're doing. Um, and, you know, and it goes on from there. Yeah. You know, different versions of the scripts get read, comments are made. It's much more intense. It takes a lot more time than it used to. Right. Well, understandably, because Doctor Who is so important there. Right, and I know there's, I know from what I've read online, and of course, but the internet being the internet, I don't know mm. how much this is true, that there has... Ah, yes, the internet does yes. have a few falsehoods on it, <laughs> yes. That there's been occasional issues, uh, Live 34 is an example I've read about, where the production office was rather worried about Daily Mail headlines that Doctor Who story supports terrorism. Yes, um, I think that was overblown somewhat. I don't think right. they really had a big issue with that. Has, has there been sort of any major... I know, I think uh, Sands of Life was originally, with the creatures in the Sahara, was originally yeah. supposed to be in the ocean. But that was because there was something going to be set at sea. Right. The Doctor. Normally, they wouldn't make editorial comments. We know now what not to do. So it wouldn't be editorial comment because of content. It's right. whether it clashes with something that's going to be on the television screen. Right. So in that case, they had a... a, a television story which was coming up which was set at sea right which was the ice I'm sorry I've forgotten the name of the um, title it's curse, the curse of the Black Spot I think might be the one I'm thinking of no I'm it might have been there's Cold War the next season as oh, well with the Ice okay. Warriors so that's, that's a possibility right. I thought as it was well. Cold War that was the issue it, anyway. might, it could have been as, yeah. as, as far in advance as that it seems that Cardiff oh no wins. they do work well in advance well right because I know there's also the story that Queen Victoria was yeah. supposed to appear I think in Other Lives and then you guys were told you couldn't because yeah. like, Davies was already planning on using them in, uh, in her yeah and when plot. we went to see the series she wasn't there and we were like oh why we could have used her then but it was, it was season 2 so right. he planned that far ahead Okay. Obviously, from day one. Okay. Um, Big Finish, I think, for a long time, especially under Gary, Gary Russell, mm. seemed to have resisted the ideas of making unmade, you know, the unmade television yes. stories or doing adaptations of the novels. I know there's a comment from him in the Big Finish Inside Storybook that there was a feeling in the early days, at least, that Big Finish needed to go off and pursue its own thing. That attitude seems to have changed in recent years, first with the lost stories and then with the novel adaptation. Yeah. What led to that change? Just different personnel. I mean, Gary didn't really want to do it at the time, and I had to respect that. Whereas when David came along, David really wanted to do the Lost Stories. We're talking about David Richardson? David Richardson, okay. yeah. And he really wanted to do the Lost Stories, so I was like, oh, okay. Um, and it, I think it was something that needed to be done, actually. I'm very glad we did it. Yes. Um, I really wanted to do the three stage plays. Yes. Um, which we did do as well, um, because I think they're very important to get a historical... Um, uh, to get a, a version of them done. Yes. Because otherwise they'd be lost forever. Yeah. Um, so you now have a version of all three stage plays. Right. Which at least is accessible. Um, and um, what was the third series you were... Uh, I mean, you did the sta- I mean, you've done the stage plays, which, yeah. as you say, we've reviewed them on the podcast before, and we talked about the fact that it's grateful, whatever the content of them, whatever mm. you, we may think of the content of them, it, we're grateful to have them, because as you say, they would be lost permanently. Yeah, totally. Otherwise, uh, the novel adaptations and the lost stories. Yes. Yes. So the novel adaptations are something that we've done quite recently. Yes. Um, and, again, that was, I think it was David who said, we should do these now. Right. It felt at the right time. 
I think if we'd done that within the first couple of years of Big Finish being around, yes. it was too early. Yeah. And we were trying to um, define who we were right. and to create our own brand. Right. Um, but now I think it's, it's fine to do so. Right. And that really comes on the back of the immense success the company seems to have had with the Love and War adaptation. Yeah, uh, I was very keen on Love and War, actually, um, because it's my favourite uh, new adventure book. Right, written by Paul Cornell, yes. the wonderful Paul Cornell. Yeah, well, I have a great deal of time for Paul, as probably everyone realises, and I've worked with Paul a lot in the past, so um, I was actually, I went to his housewarming party a couple of months ago, actually, and um, he um, he's a very talented writer, and it's he's someone I'd love to work with again more. Right. Uh, what was your reaction when Night of the Doctor came out and Paul's companions from Big Finish were mentioned in there? We knew that it was going to happen. Uh, we were tipped off by Stephen. So um, I think Stephen thought it was hilariously funny <laughs> because it was going to be that thing that, um, that basically meant that we were canon um, and no one could resist us anymore, which yes. is fantastic. Um, and, you know, it's... It's good for Paul because also he'd spent 15 years. Right. Um, you know, it's now 15 years, it was 13 years at the time, being the doctor on audio. Right. And that's predominantly what he'd been the doctor in. Yes. Unlike the other actors who'd spent time, three years or whatever, yeah. doing the doctor on television, he only got 45 an hour hmm. in the movie because the first section was done with Sylvester, obviously. Right, the first 20, 30 minutes or so. Yeah. So. He only really got an hour on screen, right? So to get that time um, on audio was fantastic, for right? Me. So I think it it you know justifies to some extent having the companion names read out during Night of the Doctor justifies Paul's existence on audio during those many years and the effort that Paul put in, right? You've brought up, we've talked about Stephen Moffat, so I have mm. to ask you about the exciting news we got just a few weeks ago mm-hmm. of you know, the new, some of these new serial, uh, series elements which are beginning okay. to come to yeah, be yeah, finished, yeah. Um, particularly the, uh, the, the, um, sorry, the old Doctor's new Monsters box set, yep. and also the appearance of River Song, both in her own box set and in the uh, Doom Coalition 2 box set coming yep. out, I believe, in January or February. It's, I think it's March for Doom March? Coalition. Okay. It's January for River Song. Okay. Uh, you, did you, because for a long time there had been the division, you know, that there was the, very definitely, you guys did the classic series and the new series was its own entity. Yep. I suppose I, I really have two questions. One, did you ever expect to, act, to get the license to do it and, you know, what did you have to really go through? Was it, how difficult of a process was it to find, for the BBC to finally say, yes, you can finally use these elements? Uh, I don't think it's a difficult process per se, but it was something that took some time. Um, it, I think it was always going to happen. But um, the BBC were understandably concerned to, to basically do their own development with the new series and with the characters from the new series. Right. Um, and it was always going to be a bit of time before we were allowed to play in their sandpit, to be honest. Right. Um, and uh, I think it's a good time for them to, for us to start using these elements. Right. Uh, I'm very looking forward to... Um, classic Doctor's new monsters. Yes. Um, and, but River Song has gone down incredibly well. Yes. And it does coincide with us doing Torchwood as well. Yes. Um, which is another new element that we'll be doing. Ooh, exciting. Well, I have to ask an obvious question. This was one we actually asked at one of your panels earlier in the convention, mm. but I have to ask it again since we're here now. Yeah. How long till we get a Jago and Lightfoot Patagnostic uh, spin off? <laughs> 
Oh, God knows. Um, I suspect it will happen. You know. Yeah. It'd be wrong of us not to at some point. Well, I think the Padanasta game would work wonderful on audio to begin with. Mm. I, I mean, I'll be honest. I, I've speculated about it in an article, and I said the only way this is going to work with the makeup and the period setting is going to be too expensive to do TV, but it's perfect for big finish. Mm. So I think it's, you know, it's something you guys might want to look into. We shall see. <laughs> As with all things, everything comes to he who waits. Right. And we mentioned Tom, you mentioned Tom Baker earlier. Mm. We talked about Tom Baker earlier, and now you've gotten Tom back at Big Finish. Yeah. You've got Matthew Waterhouse playing Adric, so the yep. guys we didn't think we necessarily would get. Absolutely. And Tom has appeared alongside Lala Ward, much to, I think, everybody's surprise. Mm-hmm. Is there any, you know, I guess I'm, I'm asking a leading question, but can you tell us if there's anything perhaps planned mm. for a, see, a box set or a season set during season 18 when they were all together? Not at the moment, no. Hmm. Um, but we would. No, not at the moment. But, you know, it could happen. Right. Um, it's one of those funny things that people are allowed to change their minds. Yes. Matthew, Matthew didn't want to come back and play Adric again because he felt. Uh, I think quite, you know, in his, understandably, he f- he felt that um, as a man in his fifties, yes, he was didn't want to go back and play a teenager again. Makes sense, yeah. Which I can understand completely. However, um, it's also, you know, people are allowed to change their minds. Right. You know, Janet Fielding did that. He, she said she wouldn't work with us. She didn't want to go back to the part. Then she agreed to do one. We thought after that she would come back and do more. She said no, that was it. And then years later she, she decided, yes, I want to come back and work with everyone again. It was more about working with her friends yes. than anything else. Okay. And, um, yeah, yeah. Hmm. So it's, um, it is a... People are allowed to change their minds. <laughs> All right. Um, we're big fans at the podcast of Blake 7, especially mm. the big finish, Blake 7. Yep. That, I know from reading Inside Story, you were a big fan of Blake 7 back in the day. Very much so. Was it something that Big Finish had long tried to do and it just happened to be right place, right time um, to get the rights? Yeah. I mean, basically, we had talked about it for a very long time. Right. Um, and eventually it did happen. Yeah. And we were very happy about it, obviously. Right. I mean, the Liberator Chronicle sets came first. It's yeah. a fantastic work. I think some of Big Finish's best work, if Thank I may you. say. Um, did you... Was there ever a plan at the beginning? I mean, you're doing full cast stories now. Yeah. And you've got everybody who's willing to come back and able to come back to come back. Yeah. Was that the plan from the beginning to do that, or was it one of those things that because it was such a large ensemble cast that it just seemed like it wasn't feasible for a while? Yeah, I mean, Blake 7 is an expensive cast. Yes. There's seven of them, funny enough. Uh, although there isn't quite, but you know what I mean. Um, but yes, it, it's always a problem. But it, there was always an intention to do full cast, but we had to work our way up to it first. Right, and Warship being the first one. Yeah, and that could have been a one-off. If it hadn't sold as well as it would as it did, that could well have been a one-off. And it was successful enough, you've now done yeah. two seasons. Yes. Now, I'm, I'm aware you probably can't answer this question, but I'm going to ask it anyways, mm-hmm. um, because our listeners will not forgive me if I mm-hmm. don't. What is going on with Blake 7 at Big Finish? Uh, can't really comment at the moment. Understand. Okay. All right. Um, you've also got The Prisoner, The Avengers. Yes. A whole number of series. I, I guess this is another. Survivors. Survivors, which is a fantastic piece yep. of work. I, descri- I describe it as brilliant but depressing. 
Yes, it's true to both of those. Yes. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, is there, yeah, I think, what, what else is there that Big Finish would like to tackle that for rights issues or whatever else you haven't been able to tackle? No, I mean, as I said previously, I'd love to do James Bond. Yes. Um, I'd love to do... Oh, yeah, I think James Bond is my big one at the moment. Mm. Um, that, I think, is a shame that we haven't done that yet. But we'll see what happens there. Am I correct in thinking you've approached to get the rights to that? Yeah, if, if yeah, we did, but they haven't done it in a while. Right. So um, we should try again. Excellent. We should. All right. And what else do I have here? Uh, this is actually a question from my uh, editor at a fanzine called The Terrible Zoden. Uh, mm-hmm. She sent this to me. Um, it's, I guess she was talking about sort of the gender balance historically in Doctor Who's been more towards males. Yeah. Um, have you, as uh, so this is a bit of a multi part question. Yeah, in your 16, 17 years of doing audios at Big mm. Finish, have you noticed that beginning to change? And also, I mean, Big Finish has captured, as she points out, Jacqueline Rayner, for example, and some very, some of Doctor Who's yeah. best female writers. But yet, Doctor Who continues to be predominantly written Man. and produced yeah. by men. I mean, is, do you think there's a reason for that? Not necessarily. I mean, basically, it's who's been available at the time. But, um, I mean, we've had we have brought in more and more female characters. Right. And um, often it's the case that we'll look at casting, say, captain of a ship. Historically, that would have been a male, but we've been casting women. Right. Um, so we do look for female casting. Um, there is um, a lot of very... Very... Um, I mean, the, the two of the... Uh, <laughs> Two of the um, best characters we've created, I think, are Abby and Zara from Graceless. The, yes. Who started off in the Key 2 time. Yes. Um, which is hilarious. I always thought that was funny. <laughs> um, very down with the kids. Um, and that's, um, it was great to create those sort of characters. Right. New female, strong characters. Yes. Yeah. I want to ask about Graceless, if I may. Simon yeah, Gurrier's sure wonderful series yes um, it's something very different from what Big Finish normally yep. produces no and that's the reason why I gave them a lot of um, leeway on it yeah because I thought it was important for us to do something different and something which um, we hadn't done before right I mean so you did three box sets of that it's just yep. been announced you're going to do a fourth box set. yep yep so I have to ask given the way it ends and it's sort of this very definitive end what made somebody come sit up and say well Let's do another one. Well, to be honest with you, it's just, it's just what happens in life. I mean, I'd, it was always going to be a short-run series, and um, after we did the first one, it sold pretty well. The second one sold reasonably well. Yeah. Um, the third one, I thought, do you know what? We're heading downwards. Um, it won't be sustainable. Let's go out with a bang. Let's do this and make this a finite series. Let's be happy about it. Right. So everyone was great, and it was like, great, this is what we're doing. And we did that, and it's just continued to sell. Um, it was always intended to be only a three, three box set series. Yes. Um, and then we did uh, the world's a big finish, which the girls were in, and everyone loved. You know, it reminded us how much we love working with them. It also reminded us that um, the characters are so good, and um, the sales just kept on coming. And I thought, you know, we're, I'm being silly here. Restricting this when we should be just enjoying the fact that they're successful characters. Right. So I said, right, fine, let's do another box set. 
So, I mean, the great thing is we've got a terrible position to start from, but actually the boys have come up with something very, very different to get away from it. Right. So we're going to have a... And because of that, um, the next season, rather than being three discs long, will be four discs long, because the first disc has to deal with certain aspects before we get sort of slightly rebooted. Okay. So it's a four disc set. Excellent. I look forward to it. Yeah, it should be fun. Okay. Um, I want to ask about Stargate, if I may. Okay. Um, I'm a fan of them. I immensely enjoyed them. I'm a big Stargate fan. There was nothing more thrilling for me to know that. Unfortunately, and I feel bad for even bringing this up, um, the rest of Stargate fandom, for the most part, doesn't seem to have felt that way. Mm. Um, It's been suggested that a lot of it had to do with the fact that Stargate's big here in the U.S., and that the U.S. market isn't perhaps best known to audio drama for because it's un, a lot of people aren't familiar unfamiliar with the concept here. Uh, do you think that's true, or do you think it was just general disinterest? I think the problem was that um, Stargate fans maybe went to too early after the finish of the series. Um, basically, Star Trek, uh, Stargate fans desperately wanted uh, a new series of Stargate on television. Right. And. When we did a promotional offer, for example, on Facebook to 1.4 million fans or whatever it was, the amount of bu- abuse we got was shocking, actually. Uh, the amount of people who were like, this is, a, this is an MGM conspiracy, we shouldn't be accepting this audio series, we should be boycotting it, forcing them to make us a television series, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, whoa, where does this all come I from? I remember reading those comments. Because we never got any of this Doctor Who, obviously. Doctor yes. Who were just really grateful that we were doing something. Right. Um, and my, my thinking was that Stargate would be similarly grateful right. that something was happening. Um, but, um, and, you know, we had Claudia Black come back yes. for the audio drama series, and she was wonderful. Yes. And she was great to work with, wonderful to direct. And I thought, this is going to be really good, and I still think it's some of the best work we've ever done. Yeah. I know, I know the late Paul Sprague was very proud of those yes, two box sets he produced. Absolutely, absolutely. And Paul put a lot of heart and soul into that. And I think he was very disappointed by the reaction. Yeah. Um, the reaction was basically, we don't want this. Yeah. Um, and sales were appalling. Let's put it in context. We've sold more bracelets than we have Stargate. Seriously? Yeah. Wow. I so never would have... Yeah, never would have We prevailed with that. it. We kept going for a bit. And then eventually we had to go, do you know what? It's just not going to work. They just right. don't want it. Uh, it wasn't any, I, I'm guessing as well, coming from MGM, it's something probably expensive to license to begin with. It w- no, it's not really for me to say. It wasn't too bad, though. I right. mean, but it's, um, it, was, uh, it was one of those things that, you know, maybe it was the wrong time. Yeah. Sometimes it's that thing that you come along and you do something at the wrong time. Yeah. And maybe if we did it tomorrow, people would be more open to it. Hmm. I mean, t- sort of touching on that mm. and sort of the, the potential unfamiliarity, particularly the American audiences have with it. I mean, do you think that the audience really for this needs to really kind of already be exposed to it to sort of know what they're listening to? You mean audio drama? Yes, audio drama. Um, yes and no. I mean, I think the American audience does take a little bit of time to get used to the idea because they're so unused to it. And like, you know, I grew up with radio drama on channel on uh, Radio 4. Right. Um, and, you know, any given afternoon you can tune into Radio 4 and find a new drama. Right, there's the afternoon plays most yeah. days of the week and of course the Saturday play as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you just find these dramas all the time. So it's not a you know, it's, it's a big it's not really a big issue with British um, sensibilities because we're so used to it. 
But over here, there is a, a need to explain it sometimes. Yeah. And um, I'm shocked sometimes that people can't get their heads around it or say, I love Doctor Who, I've watched all the episodes, I've watched all the classic series episodes, I'd never buy an audio production. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Because it's not something I can listen to. Hmm. Okay. So I need yeah. pictures, I need pictures. <laughs> Whereas I think if they gave them a go, they'd actually go, oh, I don't need pictures. Yeah. I mean, have you found, particularly in the last couple of years, Night of the Doctor, the 50th anniversary and all of that, mm. that attitude has begun to shift and uh, change? I think... Uh, I think um, Doctor Who fans around the world have realised that Doctor Who is in many different forms and they're, they're starting to um, adapt and, and um, really accept different types of Doctor Who. Right. I mean, I think we're now in an era when it's accepted that forevermore, a bit like Sherlock Holmes, yes. we're always going to have a form of Doctor Who with us now. Right. Because Doctor Who's become iconic. Yes. In the same way that Holmes is. Um, in a hundred years from now, we will have a version of Doctor Who. Yeah. Whether it's just in comic book form, just in radio form, whether it's just in book form, right. whether it's 3D TV, film, whatever. Whatever there technology be, hasn't even been yeah, developed absolutely. yet. There will be a version of Doctor Who going on. Right. Because he is that character. He's lasted 50 years. Yes. Um, you know, and Sherlock Holmes has lasted just well, over 100 years. 125, I think. 125, I think there the first one was published in 1887. There you go. So. so, Doctor Who will be Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Which is amazing when you think about it. Alright, um, I sort of, I, I, once again, a bit of a hint, a bit of a leading question here, mm. uh, sort of asking, um, what did, you know, the Doctor Who license has been granted, extended till 2020, yep. you've been granted the ability, I guess, to, you start using elements for the new series, what can we kind of look forward to in the next, you know, four and a half years? Ooh. Different aspects of Doctor Who than you may have seen before in Big Finish. I can't really say anything more than that. <laughs> it's such a leading question, as you yes. say. Um, I could go, well, you're going to see... But that would be wrong, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. All right. I guess I'll, I'll shift gears and ask an obvious question. Yeah. Um, is there a particular story or one of the series that you're really, you're really proud of? It sort of stands out to you like that was a, a bloody good piece of work. Um, yeah, I mean, some of the usual suspects like Spare Parts and Holy Terror and so forth. Um, but uh, this, uh, I've got a penchant for some stuff that people um, maybe don't realise. So things like Arrangements for War, for example, mainly because I think it's fu uh, some fantastic performances by both Maggie and Colin. Yes. Um, and it's, it's actually a... It's, it's a space saga, hmm. which would actually make a very good film. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, Arrangements for War, I've always loved. Um, thinking about it, Sword of Orion, I've always loved. Um, and then after that, it's, you know, as I said, the usual suspects. Um, you know, you can't really go wrong with Chimes of Midnight, you can't no, you really can't. go wrong with Spare Parts. Jubilee is fantastic. Um, Son of the Dragon I really love um, and then 
outside of Doctor Who or main, the main range of Doctor Who, uh, a lot of the McGann stuff that we did for BBC Radio 7, uh, I love because of the pacing, because I think um, I am got more a uh, of the sensibility of the new series. Yes. In terms of wanting faster paced stuff. Um, and um, really loved a lot of the work which we did on the, uh, the McGann series for BBC Seven. Right. Um, Brave New Town I love, um, Cannibalists I love, uh, To the Death and Lucy Miller are obviously immense productions that, you know, top and tail um, a great story arc. Right. Jason Hillary, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Apologies for being a bit under the weather. Uh, it's quite all right. We'd like to thank Jason Hillary again for participating in the interview and agreeing to it. And we hope to, well, I know Mary's going to be in Chicago, so we'll hope, uh, hopefully she'll get to see him, and I'm hoping to be in Chicago as well. Now, our next episode, which we've already recorded, we're going to be having a bit of a geek out, sort of covering some stuff that we've missed while we've been gone, some big announcements from Big Finish, as well as talking about what it is we've been listening to. So we'll hope you'll join us for that. So until next time, so long. Thanks for all the fish. Take care.